Hey everyone, this is Michael. The next two weeks, we have special episodes planned. As many of you know by now, Nathan and I are both pastors of churches that are in full cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention. As of the date this podcast airs, we are less than a week removed from the SBC's annual meeting of 2021 that met in Nashville, Tennessee. As usual, there was a lot of press going into the convention, and let's be honest, most of it wasn't positive. So we thought it would be best to take two episodes to dive into all the particulars. So here's how we're going to do it. The first episode that you're about to hear is a debrief from Nathan and I that we recorded the morning after the convention. We tried to not look at every event with rose-colored glasses, but instead we wanted to deal with each situation as honestly as we could. And we realized not everyone's going to agree with our take on things, but nevertheless, it's how we saw it. However, we don't want to just give you our take. Next week, we're going to play for you an interview with two ministers that are outside the SBC. One is an Anglican professor at a Christian university, and the other is a pastor of a Bible church in Texas. And so we hope that these next two episodes will cause you to think and pray about the SBC and its role in our world. This podcast isn't just for pastors. Share it with anyone that you think might benefit from it. And as always, thanks for listening to the Fire and Bones podcast. Welcome to the Fire and Bones podcast. I'm Michael Crosswhite, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And I'm Nathan Loudon, the pastor of Millwood Baptist Church in Austin, Texas. Follow the podcast, rate it, but most of all, share this podcast with a pastor you know might benefit from it. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Often, people's experience, understanding, interpretation of the Southern Baptist Convention is outside their church's understanding of it. They don't talk about it at their church. They don't pray for it at their church. We have a lot of headlines coming into the Southern Baptist Convention in 2021, how critical race theory overran the Southern Baptist Convention by intelligencer article um, we have our own executive committee members tweeting posting uh, about the EORLC uh, and sexual abuse we have an article here saying the Southern Baptist Convention elects Ed Litton president in victory for moderate forces and that was by the Wall Street Journal I believe Houston Chronicle says the prayers of many Southern Baptists change course on abuse and race issues. Uh, opinion in the Washington Post, could the Southern Baptists be tiptoeing away from Trump, referring to Ed Litton's election. Um, the facts, what you should know about SBC resolutions. Southern Baptist Convention is still cracking. These are just like a few. There's tons of headlines about the Southern Baptist Convention, a lot of them, which probably started two or three weeks ago, because Russell Moore's uh, emails and letters from last February and from May 31st were leaked publicly. So right now, what most people are thinking and hearing about the SBC is in that way. But 
that's a very small window about a few things about the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh-huh. It's not what I think we would, it's probably what's been foremost on our minds, uh-huh. ourselves. Uh-huh. That's what we've been talking about. That's what we listened to podcasts about for three hours from Tuscaloosa to Nashville. Yeah. But it's not what we think most and foremost about the Southern Baptist Convention. Right. Um, but I do think that's probably what a lot of people the last few weeks are, are trying to figure out. What's going on? What does all this mean? And basically boil down the Southern Baptist Convention down to its headlines and its worst version of itself, which is so easy to do in our polarized era of politics where you find out the worst thing about an entity or a group or a person or a polity and you define them by that thing and then you leave them in that category for perpetuity. Mm-hmm. And that's how I think a lot of people have been thinking about the Southern Baptist Convention, which is deserving in some respect because sure. we have some bad headlines out there and some of them we need to own. But in most respects, it's um, it's just not true. Right. It's ignorant of the whole of what the Southern Baptist Convention has has been at its best right. and what it really is now. Um, so I think it's helpful to spend some time just explaining what is the Southern Baptist Convention. Yeah. Maybe for a church member or even pastors who are like we talked to several pastors yesterday who having been to the SBC many 10 plus years my father was an SBC pastor explaining what we're doing right to pastors right even who are there uh, not to uh, discredit any pastor but to say there are pastors there who don't know what's going on right. and how things work and, and what all this means right uh, so it's important to talk about and sparse through what is going on and who we are right it's a and it, I think too there's a lot of confusion most everything that's written in news articles and dealt with in the press is understanding the SBC to be a lot like the Roman Catholic Church where or the Republican Party yeah or the Republican Party or whatever mm-hmm. some basically any other organization right that is ongoing and is top down so mm-hmm. the the entity heads or whatever control the organization and the people that are in those positions of authority speak for the SBC in you know always and basically direct the churches uh-huh. on how to do that's how most denominations work but southern yeah. baptists aren't isn't a denomination proper like you would see in presbyterian parliamentary or those kinds of different um, denominations where there's a top organization that directs the down the churches in how to respond and how to go so in the Presbyterian church the presbytery which might be pretty local is going to have some measure of control over uh, over the church even even in um, even in the church itself the Presbyterian church one mm-hmm. singular building Mm-hmm. There's going to be a top-down control from typically mm-hmm. like an elder board yeah. that's going to direct the entire church. Whereas Southern Baptists, down to the very singular member of a church body, a local church body, is going to go 
work upward. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, we believe that the congregation is a ruling body to some degree, and yeah. um, and has control over membership and, and things like that. And that goes <clears throat> all the way up to the top. And so I think what people don't understand is that in some ways the SBC goes on mm-hmm. through the executive committee and things like that. But <clears throat> in many ways, in virtually every other way, it is that SBC no longer exists as of today. We're recording this on Thursday morning in Nashville, in the worldwide headquarters, by the way, uh, <laughs> in the Airbnb worldwide headquarters that we just rent for a couple, a couple yes. of days while we're here at the convention. But literally this morning, or as of whatever, six o'clock last night, the SBC ceased to exist in many ways. So um, that... So basically, when we when the gavel was was pounded and JD Greer said you are sent and we left that room, mm-hmm. the S or for most people they left before that. <laughs> you know, there was a mass exodus right a, right after Lifeway presented, and then that was that was pretty much that Which was really every year. Yeah, yeah, every yeah. Year. People are flying out. They're flying home on Wednesday. Yeah. Business is over. Right. There's there's nothing to do. Really. Right. And so at that moment when the gavel sounded, the SBC, the Southern Baptist Convention, like kind of went into nothing. It, it exists two days out of the year when we convene together. Yes. And our purpose, as originally stated and as, as still current, is to, is to direct the funds that we have chosen to pull together. We are individual churches in a sense that are independent of one another, but have chosen in our autonomy to come together and and basically collect money together. Mm-hmm. And and then two days out of the year, we convene in the Southern Baptist Convention to direct the entity heads how to spend that money. Right. And maybe even establish new entities. That's happened. Yeah. But but that's what we're doing. And so when when it's when it, it I, some of the articles then the news articles and things like that yeah. are sort of unfair because they present the SBC says this, and to some extent that's true. But really, when the SBC says something through its resolutions or motions or whatever, that is that body that convened that day at that particular time, and it might be entirely different the next year. Which we can't we can't just step back from our headlines and say, well, we don't own that. No, sure, yeah. That was us for two days because we are on we are ongoing in cooperation through the year under the Baptist Faith and Message. We are um, in a sense in fellowship so much as we are still expecting an executive committee to do what we have asked them to do. The seminaries, IMB, North American Mission Board. Um, so we don't exist in a sense, but we do. We, we do have to own those things to some degree, but the minimization of the convention to those things is entirely... Uh, it's not even that it's maybe unfair. It's just that um, I, I wouldn't expect the New York Times, the Washington Post, or anyone to know or care right. all the ins and outs of what makes up the Southern Baptist Convention. Right. So we'll say three things. The website, sbc.net, has a lot of good information, uh, some funny information as well. But I want to say three things. 
The Southern Baptist Convention is a body of like-minded local churches cooperating together to reach the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. So there is the autonomy of the local church cooperating on its own volition mm-hmm. with the Southern Baptist Convention. Mm-hmm. We give funds to the cooperative program that makes us and uh, still remain our autonomy, unlike the Methodist Church, which is in a big mess right now in the West, in the U.S. The Methodists own their buildings, right. the United uh, Methodist Church. So if someone wants to leave, if a church wants to leave the Methodist Church, they're, they're in a tight spot because the Methodists own their building. Right. And that's creating a, a big schism right now. The other thing is that it only exists two days a year. Right. Legally, it only exists. We have already met all the budget spending, everything the executive committee does, everything the IMB does, everything the North American Mission Board does, the two major church planting missional agencies. We have already told them what to do. They are going out and doing them. Right. And the third thing is this uh, subject of soul membership, which came up. All of that means then that the... Uh, sole majority ownership in the Southern Baptist Convention is the collection of churches, the participating churches, and in particular, those messengers who are there at the annual meeting. Right. We're talking about 50,000 churches in North America or in the U.S. I don't remember our scope. It's actually only those who are present right. who actually uh, get to vote and participate in um in a legally overseeing executive fashion. Yeah. Uh, so, so in other words, there is one member of the SBC, and it yeah. is who convenes in that room that particular time. There's only one member, and and there's only one voting member, if you will, and that one voting member, speaking in layman terms here, this probably would pass an attorney's uh, explanation, sure. but the one member is the 17,000 messengers right. who were there. And whatever we vote, whatever we say as a whole, is what the executive committee must do. Yeah. Period. Yeah. And that showed up in a big way this week when it came to the issue of sexual abuse. Yeah. Now, but wait, before we get to that, though. Yeah. So there's the executive committee. Okay. So we've got, I think it's important to kind of just parse through some of these these terms because I don't think you know just what executive committee. Because the executive committee was not only in the news before coming in. Mm-hmm. It was a huge issue coming in, and also uh, really going out. What happened while we were there? The executive committee plays a big role in that, mm-hmm. and and I think the the way the sole member or the body of churches that were there, the messengers that were there in that room, and what how they reacted and responded to the executive committee, I think is huge. So we have in the SBC, the churches have chosen to to create several entities what i think there are 12 isn't that right that are funded by the cooperative program that's what we mean by entity right is we have come together and we have chosen to collect our funds together into one massive fund called the cooperative program and out of the cooperative program we fund i think it's 12 entities if i'm not mistaken you have the executive committee Mm-hmm. which basically is a committee of people that are members of SBC churches mm-hmm. that, uh, that are elected by the messengers. That are elected by the messengers. There's 70, I want to say 70, 75. 75. Okay, 75 members of the executive committee plus a CEO, which is Ronnie Floyd, who is also a member of a Southern Baptist church, and he is elected to be the CEO of the executive committee. 
and they act on behalf of the messengers during the rest of the year. So since we convene only two days out of the year, they are representative of us the other 363 days out of the year. So in some ways, the SBC continues to go on through them, which is a, plays a huge role into kind of some of the news and things like that, I think. So there's, there's that entity, but then we also have the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, which also played a huge role in the news coming in. Guidestone, the International Mission Board, Lifeway Christian Resources, the North American Mission Board, and six seminaries. There's also the the Women's Missionary Union, which does not receive cooperative program funding dollars, but which I think I wish they would, and I was really thankful for their time yesterday. That was sweet. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's 10 minutes at the very end of the Southern Baptist Convention. There is no questions or voting because they do not receive cooperative program dollars. I was grateful for that. Um, so <laughs> not, to, not to bash on WMU, but... Um, Let's digress. Okay. So, so we've got uh, all of those entities that then when we come together, we're talking about how they receive their funding, what sorts of funding they receive, what their mission really is. And then they talk about the things that they've done over the past year, what their plan is for the future, all of those kinds of things, lay out sort of their vision for their organization. And then we basically are able as messengers to ask questions of them and it's a give and take when we come to when we come to the convention the executive committee brings things to the messengers and the messengers have a lot of time to bring things to basically each other to the floor which is to bring things to the all the messengers and the messengers uh, nothing is binding nothing is affirmed until it's approved by the messengers right so there are some things that the executive committee presented that the messengers said no to. Right. There are some things uh, that were not on the agenda, no one prepared for, wasn't printed anywhere, that messengers, which are uh, members from churches authorized by their church to go to the SBC and speak on their behalf. Every church, based on their size, has a, can have a number of messengers go that's proportionate to the size of their church, the membership of their church. And how much they give. Toward the corporate program. Right, and so you, those messengers, some of them were surprises. There's times to enter new motions on the floor, new resolutions on the floor, uh, which will become binding to the executive committee. So it goes both ways. We voted on some things that the executive committee gave us. Uh, Vision 2025, for example, the plan for the next few years until 2025. Uh, so it goes both ways. Yeah. So, okay, so there, there's, and I think... For people that have never been to the SBC and people that are there for the first time, mm-hmm. what's really confusing, I think, right out of the gate, if you're not used to it, is the relationship between resolutions and motions. Because it's it's a lot of – it's one massive mm-hmm. business meeting. If you've ever been in a church business it's a one massive mm-hmm. church business meeting and where there are tons of resolutions and motions that are being made. Resolutions on one end, motions on the other how do we understand the difference between those two? In short, motions require the executive committee or the convention to do something. Resolutions, on the other hand, uh, if you were to look at a resolution right now, it would tell you two things. One, whereas this is the case, we are resolved uh, to do or to think this. 
A resolution is simply a statement uh, from that two-day meeting that year uh, about what we think, feel, or are committed to do uh, about anything. Right. Uh, we did. We made resolutions on the Equality Act, which is what we think and say about the Equality Act. We made resolutions about uh, race. We made resolutions about civil membership, uh, which is a, a very powerful legal signal uh, to the executive committee and to the convention. But those resolutions are, in a sense, not binding. In a sense, that's us saying what we think, what we commit to do, but it doesn't hold the convention uh, in, in any kind of uh, liability if we don't do those things. It's simply us making a statement. Yeah, I mean, as an example of that, there are resolutions back in our history that are pro-slavery and that pro-abortion. That are gross. Oh, yeah. 100%. I mean, pro-slavery, pro-abortion, and... And there was a motion to rescind those. Right. Some, a lot of the of 1860s, 1850s, 1870s, I think maybe was and the that, there was one. a huge misunderstanding in at the floor of the convention about rescinding resolutions. Even and, the resolution, especially from 2019, yeah. that uh, was soft on critical race theory. Resolution number nine, mm-hmm. and and so you know there, there's and there's I mean if you dig back into the resolutions, the gross resolutions mm-hmm. of our past. I mean even still even there. 1970s pro-abortion when Roe v. Wade is... we were pro-abortion. Yeah, we were a pro-abortion denomination. And and then even before that, we were a pro-slavery denomination, which is egregious and and really awful. Mm -hmm. But what was decided, as gross as those are, what was said there on the floor and determined by the parliamentary parliamentarians and the lawyers and things like that is you can't go back into history and say that didn't happen. So you can't rescind a resolution because that actually happened. It's just a record of the opinion of that group of people that met at that particular time. Mm -hmm. And and so you can't go back and and rescind that. So a resolution is in that sense is really non-binding on anybody in the future. We're not bound to a pro-slavery, pro-abortion opinion Mm -hmm. simply because that was the opinion of the SBC at one point in its history, yeah. and n- nor are we bound to the opinions that were he- expressed, you know, in this year, mm-hmm. you know, or two years ago in Birmingham. Mm-hmm. So they're non-binding in that sense. They do express the opinion of quite a few messengers that were gathered there in the and in the room. The Equality Act and uh, the resolution on the Equality Act included language which. Sp- spoke prophetically, to use that word generally, toward, uh, in, in regards to a convicting message, toward our Congress. Mm-hmm. So it was a statement that we have made toward uh, other entities, uh, other organizations. It's an opportunity to reject organizations and say we are not in partnership with them. Uh, so it can, it's, it, it, it's a way that the uh, 15,000 messengers gathered can make a a, a unified press release right. on some things with, and, without and the, going to the press room. And there's a binding. There's a bind, The binding sense of it is that uh, it is to some degree a temperature check on where the church is at the time. So we can yes. look back in the '70s and we can say we were a pro-abortion denomination because of that statement, that resolution that was made. Right. Though I'm not bound to that. It does tell me what the temperature of the SBC was back at that time. 
And, you know, I, there was a movement on the floor this week to try to rescind the 2019 resolution on critical race theory because it was it a was, motion to ascend or, to rescind a resolution. Yes, it was too, which is interesting. Yeah, yeah, it was too soft. It didn't speak clearly. It actually sounded like we were in favor of the use of CRT. And uh, what it really historically what it means from the inside of the SBC is we had no idea what critical race theory meant in 2019. That's the story. Right. right. When you look at our resolution, it makes it sound like we were all thankful for CRT and right. that uh, we're happy for it to be used as an analytical tool in our seminaries. Yeah. <laughs> and we're not. No. In a vast majority, uh, we are not. Our six uh, seminary presidents have 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 made that statement. We might be getting farther yeah. down the list here, but the the point is that that was rejected um, by. Um, the what would it be the committee on order of business or parliamentarians mm-hmm. as out of order we can't resent we can't undo something that 10,000 people did three years ago right uh, because it's over it, right. that that group doesn't exist anymore that convention doesn't exist anymore um, we, we can't it would be Nazi like I think in spirit for us to even try to do it right uh, it would be erasing our own history yeah. uh, our own faults in some ways resolutions are a record of what happened and you can't go back and say that didn't happen. Right. And you go back to our very – if you go to sbc.net, you can look up all of our resolutions by year. And if you go back to the very beginning, the first resolution is a very general – the very second one in 1845 is a resolution on Negroes. Yeah. So it's it's all still there. Gross. And, and we think it – and to be fair, I think it should still be there. Yeah, sure. Uh, we we shouldn't get rid of our history, and uh, legally, I don't think, or in terms of reliability, we can't get rid of those. So I think we did a wise thing, even though our, our history is past, and we, we may need to continue to apologize for it in the sense that we continue to recognize and clarify that that is not who we are today. Okay. Um, we are not afraid to have our history opened up. Right. Uh, in fact, I think that would help actually show uh, that this is not who we are right. by having it out there. But digressing, resolutions and motions are different. A motion would be something that the convention or the executive committee would be bound to do, mm-hmm. uh, an action that usually includes either a task force <laughs> being formed um, Some uh, sort of action being taken into the future. Uh, someone being appointed to a committee role yeah. or the spending of money. Huge uh, things can change by motions. Oh, I yeah. mean, like the entire, I mean, even our, down to our bylaws can be changed through motions. That ha- I mean, yeah, that happened. That yeah, happened yeah. this week. Yeah, yeah. Both. So t- tons of things can, can be, so basically the motion has a lot of teeth behind it mm-hmm. in that it can impact change. Resolutions are merely statements of opinion that were of that they can have, body. They can have impact culturally. Sure. Um, resolutions, you mean? Resolutions, yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, both. But yeah, yeah, resolutions, people have left for the SBC in the past five years because of things I think we would or wouldn't say. Yeah, right. And resolutions. And so we might have some more. All right. So coming into the convention in the weeks prior as usual mm-hmm. there was tons of news mm-hmm. and there were, it, we were talking about this there it seems like though you could probably argue for a number of different news articles that were 
holding sway and whatever uh, in the days leading up to the convention. Um, there were three massive issues that sort of took control of all the headlines and really all of our conversations going into the convention were centered around obviously the there was a, some abuse allegations so we had uh, some you know, Russell Moore's letters mm-hmm. he wrote two letters basically mm-hmm. um, that were both supposed to be I guess secretive letters or, or just emails or, or whatever to an individual or a group mm-hmm. of individuals one to his his board mm-hmm. and then the other to uh, J.D. Greer who is the president of the of the Southern Baptist Convention as of a couple days ago and um both of those letters got leaked out. And inside those letters were more than insinuation. I think it was outright uh, claiming that there was cover-up of uh, ab- abuses that took place within the SBC. Let's use our language carefully. Let's do that. I, I would rather do that. I don't think, <laughs> to my recollection, either of Russell Moore's letters were saying that the executive committee or anyone on it was legally a non-reporting right um, uh, ha- was not reporting knowledge of sexual abuse Correct. in a legal sense which in in the in the US clergy are a uh, are among those who are required to report right I think what Russell Moore was saying was that there was a culture of sexual abuse. There were sexual abuses that have come to the surface, for example, in the Caringwell Conference when Rachel, um, I cannot remember her last name, Den Hollander, Den Hollander uh, shared her testimony, that, that he was saying there was pushback from the executive committee to bring any of those things to the surface. Right. We did not want those things out. We wanted to keep them down. We wanted to make sure that these are credible testimonies, that there was a pushback to having those things talked about out in the air. I don't know that um, Russell Moore ever accused someone of directly hiding sexual abuse. And I I think think some of that language is what has caused just a, a tornado of... Who's accusing who of what? And it makes it sound like our executive committee is, and this is an important moment that happened yesterday, makes it sound like our executive committee is just hiding back this big wave of sexual abuse that they're doing, committing, and are in knowledge of, and they won't let it go. There was a moment when the motion came to the floor to hire a third-party investigation into the executive committee by Grant Gaines. Through a lot of turmoil and uh, trial, it passed. It was asked on the floor in front of our 17,000 whatever messengers plus guests, is the executive committee hiding sexual abuse allegations or knowledge of sexual abuse? And Ronnie Floyd, the president and CEO of the executive committee, came to the microphone to a you could hear pin drop moment. Yeah. And he said unequivocally, no. Well, he said, not to our knowledge. Not to our knowledge. Which, which is I, a legal no. Which is, yeah, which is him saying, of course, we there could be some committee member we don't right. know about. But I think but the, basically, the important as a committee, we're not doing that. The important distinction to make here is that 
it's not as though we think every member on the executive committee has committed an abuse Mm-mm. that is no. that is Far then being that. covered Far over. Right, right, But what we and and to our knowledge, all of the abuses that are being alleged have been adjudicated to some degree. Mm-hmm. They've been either they've gone through court proceedings or whatever. And what was insinuated by Russell Moore to you, to to your point is that in his letters, I think even maybe even more than insinuated, is that the executive committee doesn't want to talk about or bring to light the adjudication process that all of those things went under, and all of that dates back. Which is you. true. So yeah, and, so now, I, well, that, and it happened Monday. Yeah, that all of that dates back years, going back to the Houston Chronicle. Yes. Are a series of articles mm-hmm. that were released about uh, not just SBC, yeah. but a, a lot of SBC pastors who have been accused and, and tried and whatever of abuse mm-hmm. or who are currently, who were currently at the time of the articles undergoing um, trial mm-hmm. because of abuse allegations. And the Houston Chronicle was bringing those to light. And the reason that the a- executive committee and J.D. Greer has been actually pretty open about this, mm-hmm. that he and the, the executive committee have a, a kind of a strained relationship mm-hmm. because at one executive committee meeting years ago when the Houston Chronicle articles were published, he basically read off all the churches that were in there. And we're talking small churches mm-hmm. that are in the, you know, backwoods of wherever. And they're in the middle of litigation. Yeah. And whatever. They, they, I don't know. Where so-and-so who is very trusted was in the children's building and, and yeah. did and is accused of doing whatever. And all of these were trials ongoing and some past tense trials that have been, mm-hmm. you know, had been adjudicated. So what we're, what we're not saying is that the executive committee is, you know, they're guilty of this and they're trying to cover these types of things up, but rather that they would rather not talk about the so things let's, that have So let's been... bring up what is going on then yeah. and why I think it is important that Grant Gaines presented his motion to hire an investigation. It, I, I'm not even convinced necessarily. I, not, I don't know Grant. I haven't talked with him. I, I don't know, but I'm not convinced necessarily that anyone believes there's some big... Um, you know, discovery to be had right. on the other side. That I'm not too afraid of. There might be no. things that come up. Right. It, it could be way worse than I could imagine. I don't know. The problem is, it, and it got it, the problem actually became uh, new news, so to speak, when a pastor named Jared Wellman, I think he's from Arlington, uh, part of the executive committee, made a motion at the beginning of the executive committee plenary meeting. Which happened on, on Monday. On Monday, which we set in Which is for. the day before the convention actually started. That's right, their last meeting before the convention started. Right. And he made a motion to hire a third-party investigation which could not be controlled by the executive committee and would allow uh, whoever comes to investigate total access to the executive committee to their staff and to their data and but wait 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 he made a motion that's what began, that we he made a motion talk about it he made a motion to put it on the agenda right uh it so was, he, so let's let's back up just because this is so confusing for people that are not in business stuff sure the motion said 
uh, the, the motion that he presented said, well, we me, should investigate. Let me say, as it happened, his motion was to hire an investigation. Right. The chair responded, that's not on the agenda. We're trying to approve the agenda. And Jared Wellman then made the motion that we put this investigation this motion. on the, ag- right. the exactly. motion on the agenda. Yeah, yeah. That came up for discussion. Should we put this on the agenda to discuss, to discuss yeah. as an executive committee? That was debated vehemently. One of the uh, executive committee members, who is an attorney, Joe Knott, is that his name, I believe? It sounds right, but I can't remember. Um, who is, for those who have ears, a part of the Conservative Baptist Network, stood up and uh, said to every to the executive committee, to everyone who was present, guests, this would be a really bad idea. In fact, he used the term, this would be horrific if this thing were to be allowed, if the investigation were to be allowed to go forward. When he did that, that made Jared, Grant, myself, and others resolved to know what you think would be so horrific about being investigated. Right. And and if he thinks it's horrific in the sense of... um, I, I don't know. I can't imagine what would be so horrific about being investigated. We have nothing. I mean, well, his statement made everything worse. It did. And we sat <laughs> in the second row. We're about 10 feet away from the uh, now famous Houston Chronicle reporter who's sitting there, and his eyes perked up. He knew exactly what did was going on. Did everybody hear that? Yeah. Everyone knew what was going on, <laughs> except him, yeah, apparently. Awful. So long story short, it was rejected. It was not allowed on the agenda. The executive committee did not even discuss as an item of business, they did not even discuss an investigation. And so, just pause right there. Mm-hmm. Then a bunch of news articles were written based on the executive committee meeting. No. Now, mind Tweets. you, oh, yeah. mind you, the SBC has not yet convened at this point. Right. That's Monday. The SBC doesn't convene till the next day. Right. And so Jared Wellman's motion, which I have, I have a copy of, because mm-hmm. we were there at the executive committee meeting. Right. Um, that motion what fell flat. It, it fell to the floor. No, yeah, nothing. It yeah, it doesn't dead. exist anymore. Doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. It never made it. To, made it to the, really the light of day. Right. Um, and so the executive committee refused to even discuss. That's not saying that they're adopting the motion. And I think it just I putting the a, motion on the agenda. They they refused to even. I do think that. it's to say it's it, it was very obvious as well in the room there was tension. Yes. And there was very very obvious faces uh, up on the stage. Uh, the executives in the executive committee, those in those roles, uh, were di- greatly disturbed. Sure. Actually, was it uh, what's his name? Slade. Yeah. Um, he was the coolest and calmest of all of them. The chair. Uh-huh. Yeah. I was thankful for him. Yeah, yeah. Just as an aside. Yeah. Uh, so, Sounds like a good dude. Yeah, hundred um, percent. So then, executive committee meeting ends, ends yep. and there's a lot of. You can just sense the in the air. There's yeah. a lot of tension. Where is this going to go? Right. Well, we hear about Grant Gaines's motion days before that. Oh, that was weeks, weeks before. Weeks yeah, before. When, yeah, I can't well, remember. Some Moore's letter came out. He yeah. came out pretty quickly yeah. and said. We and need Grant Gaines's motion proposed to do what? Well, so wait, 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 wait. Back up. The executive committee had hired an investigator to come in and investigate themselves. So let's set, yeah, we'll set it up going into the convention. Yeah. The executive committee had gotten so much heat publicly 
they really couldn't do anything, I don't think, except to come out and say, we want to do an investigation. Right. The problem was, or the tension going in, was the executive committee, uh, I don't think, it might be, in my recollection of decades, kind of at an all-time low in, in trust. There's a lot of suspicion because of the way some things had been handled. So the executive committee had come out, Ronnie Floyd even came out and said, we're in favor of an investigation. The problem was the executive committee would be in charge of the investigation, which was supposed to be investigating the executive committee. And so that... Fox is guarding the hen house. Exactly. And so that was was not sufficient. And that that had to break somewhere in the convention. I was going to come to the surface. Yeah, so the executive committee could determine the scope. If something came to light... Through the investigation, the executive committee could, okay. as as has been alleged by Russell Moore, they could uh, refuse to bring it to the light of day. Right. And the churches it. would never know it yeah. because right. we don't have access to that. Exactly. Plus, there are attorney-client privileges yes. and amongst the executive committee yeah. that would refuse to be violated. You know, or, or couldn't couldn't be violated Legally. by this investigation, right? And so, there are certain scope limitations to the investigation that the executive committee hired on itself. Mm-hmm. So you know that doesn't that doesn't breed a whole lot of confidence no, between the culture the of the Me Too movement, and I think between that and the uh, the Christian stand, the biblical standard for transparency, uh, it that didn't bode well. No. So so the first day. Yeah. Uh, I think it might have been the first motion. I mean, it was quick. I don't. Maybe it wasn't the first. But Grant Gates made there, yeah. the motion that the uh, executive committee—I don't know if it was the executive committee specific or the Southern Convention—the committee, the committee especially—be investigated in regards to its handling of sexual abuse or its relation to sexual appointed abuse. Appointed by the churches. president, by the newly elected president. Appointed by the new president, who then would select a task force, which would include some members from the executive committee. Sure, is my understanding. But also some pastors. But I think. Pastors from around the from around the convention to oversee the investigation and I think define the scopes. Although the motion itself I think had some scopes defined in it, sure. which the task force will be bound by themselves. Right. right. Um, irregard- regardless, <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, it, it passed. It was one of the last motions to pass after a lot of debate. Now, wait, before we get to it passing, mm-hmm. spoiler alert, it passed, uh, which, was a, which was good. What then happens after... So we go through this big round of motions two that days. are being, being made for two mm-hmm. days. Yeah, motions being made. And those motions are then presented to the resolutions committee, basically, the committee on resolutions, essentially, mm-hmm. who then basically figure out... Or I guess it's the order of business, actually. Mm-hmm. Who, who figures out then what to do with those motions. Yeah. And so some motions are against our bylaws and whatever, and they're mm-hmm. thrown out because they're against bylaws. Right. And they, there would have to be a motion to change the bylaws in order to do that motion. Mm-hmm. So they're thrown out altogether. Mm-hmm. There's some motions that are made that are just like other motions, and so they're sort of combined, so to speak, or mm-hmm. one is thrown out in favor of the other clearer one. And then some are sent to the executive committee 
to act on behalf of the messengers the other 363 days out of the year, mm-hmm. and they determine what to do with these, mm-hmm. whether to disregard them or to uh, maybe act on them or to hire, do whatever is requested or maybe accommodate in some way the motion being made. And so the motion by Grant Gaines was then sent to the executive committee, mm-hmm. which everybody felt was yes. a huge problem. Yeah. Well, the the motion was made, and I believe it was accepted. But then the what happens with a lot of resolutions or motions, as you're saying, is they're deferred to the committee to go figure out later. Right. Which gives them control again. Right. And most of the time, they just die. Right. So the executive committee, we felt like, right. would say we're already hiring an investigation. Throw this one in the shredder. Yeah. Now, the body. The, this is where. I mean, the SBC is really shows its strength, I think, mm-hmm. in the way it's organized. Mm-hmm. The body of messengers that are there at that convention mm-hmm. two days ago or yesterday mm-hmm. can then overrule the, the what is it, resolutions committee, maybe, or who, whoever it is that sends that to the executive committee. They can mm-hmm. overrule them and bring it back to the floor and force mm-hmm. a vote mm-hmm. on this that it has to go into action. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. So, but that takes a two-thirds majority. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, I think the vote in the room, I don't know what it was exactly, but mm-hmm. it had to be more, more than two-thirds. Right. I mean, it was Easy. easily, you know, so maybe nine-tenths. Houston Chronicle yeah. reporter thought it was unanimous. Yeah, it, it, was, a, it was a resounding, we're yes. bringing this to the floor yeah. vote. And I, I, I don't think I've ever been more proud to be a Southern mm-hmm. Baptist than in that moment when they were like, no, no, you're not going to send this on and it's not going to die in the shredder. We're bringing the abuse allegations. Yeah. Anything that's been, anything that has touched abuse in mm-hmm. the Southern Baptist Convention needs to be investigated and brought to light. Mm-hmm. And we're doing that now. Mm-hmm. And so the executive committee and all of those that thought, uh, let's just move this on. I don't, I don't know what they're thought. I don't know exactly what was in their mind or, 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 any, or their heart for mm-hmm. that matter. And I'm not trying to make a judgment on that, but just saying that through the processes of the SBC, it was going to be relegated to practically the shredder. Mm-hmm. And the, the whole body that was there on the floor said, no, we're bringing it to light. And then voted again unanimously to approve that motion. That has teeth to it. And that actually means that there has to be something going forward, a task force appointed by the newly elected president to investigate thoroughly all of the anything connected to abuse mm-hmm. and its relationship to the executive committee, what they've what they've covered and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And inside the motion, we can't as a as a denomination or as a whatever uh, uh, um, a body mm-hmm. can't. A mandate that the executive committee violate attorney-client privilege, mm-hmm. but in the motion is recommended that and stated that the that the messengers, the mm-hmm. SBC churches, will will interpret the uh, the the executive committee members foregoing attorney-client privilege and disclosing all of every text message, every conversation that they've mm-hmm. ever had with their lawyers that we will interpret that as you really do want transparency. Yes. It's that's stated in the motion. The motion is very particular. It expands the scope of the 
investigation by Guidepost Solutions to all paid appointed elected leaders of staff, previous or current of the executive committee, convention, and convention entities. Yeah. I mean, this is wide scope. There should be no limit to who can be interviewed. That's A. B, to waive the privilege so that Guidepost Solution has access to all data and information. What that includes is, I suppose, all data in emails. I, I don't know anything that the convention owns. Then to commission a public report on all findings and recommendations that is not vetted or edited first by executive committee leadership, but provided directly and publicly by Guidepost Solutions to the appointed task force for the entire convention. Yeah, it's a strong motion. It is a very strong motion. In my memory, I don't know that the, con- the executive committee has been reprimanded is what it sounds like. That might be a bad word, but told so strictly, you will do what we say. Yeah. It was a big, a, a big moment yeah. Um, yeah. For, for, that, for the relationship between the messengers and the executive committee. There were several moments like that in this convention, which I, I thought was one of the better conventions. There were, there were so much tumultuous stuff going in. Could have been really Oh, bad. it could have been so awful. Been and if bad. that, I think, honestly, a lot of it, the tipping point was really that, that Gaines motion. Mm-hmm. Was, I mean, that that's, everything sort of hung in the balance, in mm-hmm. my estimation at least, on that Gaines motion. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I guess time will tell how, how it, what it actually proves to be. Sure. sure. You know, we don't really know, but, but, it seemed like so much, if that Gaines motion had been relegated to the shredder, it, it could have been a very different... And it could occasion. be... Anaheim could be very exciting. Oh, man. Anaheim could have, would have changed <laughs> that, Which is the, where the location for next year's convention. Yeah. Um, so, so anyway, it wasn't. It was brought back to the floor, yeah. and it was voted on, approved. I mean... I, Which, I, let me just say what I think that means. To me, I think that means... There's a room full of pastors and church members, messengers, who are saying, I don't think angrily. I didn't sense that. There was a good spirit in the room. I don't think defiantly, uh, but definitely saying, This is our convention. Yes. And the the tighter you squeeze the secrecy and, and want to have the power, the more it makes us suspicious. Which, by the way. So we're not going to allow that. I think. Even Ronnie Floyd, president and CEO of the executive committee, mm-hmm. came up to the microphone because he he had to answer a, fu- a couple of questions. Yeah, and he came up to the microphone about the motion itself and recognized both. I think both realities. What we saw on Monday at the executive committee was a statement by the executive committee. Mm-hmm. I mean, on the whole, not unanimously, but on the mm-hmm. whole that we don't really want to discuss this. We think our investigation that we've hired mm-hmm. is sufficient. Yeah. And so the executive committee is stating, we don't want that. Mm-hmm. They, they did on Monday, and, and everything that I've heard from them has stated as such. And then that he also recognized that in the room, the messengers who do control the executive committee and who do control all this mm-hmm. did want that. And, they, and so he get, yeah. he gets up at the microphone and yeah. says, "Just deliberate and let us know what you decide." Basically, yeah. because I think he recognizes he yeah. executive committee on his end is saying we don't want this. Messengers are saying we do. So there's a there's a butting of heads Which that's coming, he, and he doesn't want to be caught. In my the personal take on this is 
there was a, a leadership moment where Ronnie Floyd and Joe Knott basically, by their unwillingness to have it discussed and deal with it in the plenary, which would have been messy. I mean, it would have been ugly if they opposed it. They basically sent it to the floor. Yeah. And they basically sealed their own fate. Right. Because once they said, no, we won't talk about it, that lit a fire that uh, that went straight to the end of the convention. Yeah. And uh, But I don't know. I, I will say, I want to give credit to Ronnie Floyd, to Jonah. I don't know these guys personally. And there may be some really good reasons why it would be unwise to just open up our books, to just open up all of our information, especially in the age that we live in, where the world doesn't really like us too much. Right, right. And uh, just a wide open report on all of our entities, um, it, it might not help. Sure. I get it. Uh, but at the same time, uh, it we're the, the other side is just worse yeah we just don't have anything to hide yeah and as messengers we don't want anything hidden from us yeah i i think it was a you know you you kind of run into a rock and a hard place either way you go potentially um you know one is as you said there could be things disclosed in this investigation that maybe didn't need to be disclosed but now that they are boy this is really going to get messy Uh and that's possible and maybe that maybe that is what's going to happen i don't i don't know but then on the other side, you have what really amounts to a PR nightmare of the SBC saying, no, we don't really care about abuse. We're going to investigate ourselves and we'll keep what we find, you know. And I don't think that they, I don't think Ronnie Floyd would want to do that. And I don't think he, he was going to do that. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I would expect Ronnie Floyd, who I believe to be a brother in Christ, mm-hmm who would get the investigation of whatever it was and he would bring to the messengers the things that those the investigators find i think he would have done that but but i think the messengers felt like we don't really want your hands on it because we don't we think that that might limit kind of snowballed that way real quickly from the first release of russell moore's first letter it just it there there Along the way, there wasn't ever a time when the executive committee said, we want a third-party unhindered investigation. And since they wouldn't say that, uh, it that's the only place it could go. Right. I don't think it had anywhere else to go but that by the end of the convention. But the strength of the convention was, I think, shown in that it did go there. Mm-hmm. And so the, I, I, mm-hmm. for the first time in, you know, obvi- obviously in my memory, mm-hmm. Which is not long. Yeah. I mean, it, it is yeah. in the teens. I, I've been going to the SBC for probably since I don't know 2013, maybe. Yeah. And so, which is not so that's not very long. But that was the strongest I've seen in mm-hmm. just the years that I've been going. Mm-hmm. Strongest statement I yeah. think, made by the messengers. And it made a huge statement in regards to sexual abuse. Yeah. And how we will handle it as a convention and as like an executive committee and all of the above. I personally don't think that. Um, you know, in the exec in the plenary committee meeting on Monday, uh, Joe said that you know these uh, the Southern Baptist churches, our nurseries, our Sunday schools, and everything are run by grandmas and mothers, and it's oh, the man. safest place in the whole world. Oh, and I agree on the whole, but that kind of overgeneralization that we're just a safe place because we're a safe place, and we're a safe place because we're a bunch of Christians and grandmas and women. 
is the exact thing that has gotten us in trouble. Not oh, being sure. careful about our kids. Not having background checks. Not having training. And not having two, two people, people in the, the room, room policy. Yeah. All these things. That's how we got here. That's how we got in the Houston Chronicle sure. uh, years ago. And so that, that kind of deafness to where we are, our convention, I think, did a good job saying we refuse to keep propagating that culture. Right. And, and for the sake of those who have been sexually abused, for the sake of – it is a big statement to the Me Too movement, if you will, the, even the Church Too hashtag oh. – that um, the executive committee running their own investigation is not enough for the 15 plus thousand messengers who were there. Right. Which is a, we're talking about the, the messenger relationship to the committee, which could be any motion. Right. But this is a statement about sexual abuse. Yeah. That this in particular is horrendous to us. Yes. It's one thing that, that every year at the convention, there's someone who's saying, you're not telling us where the money is. Right, right. There's someone saying to a president, uh, why don't you tell us this expense account? I'm not too worried about those things. I don't think we're spending our, our money on slavery right. or on drugs. Or, or I think it's getting spent. Maybe someone has an expense account that's too big. I don't know. We're never going to see Kevin Azell's salary. That doesn't bother me. That right. came up this year. Yeah. We will not. There's a ex- super expensive desk chair somewhere. That someone bought, I'm sure. bought 100,000 Kamek's. <laughs> And handed them out to every messenger. I have my own. Which, by the way, I don't know if Kevin Ezeal will ever hear this, but if he does, I nominate him to be the president of swag in perpetuity. There needs to be a committee. He needs he needs to be the head of the committee that determines, and he needs to help yeah. his brother uh, Al Moeller. Oh, gosh. On Southern is quit, probably the worst when it comes to swag. And let's be honest. Quit every giving pastor, everybody fountain pens. Let's just get something quick. <laughs> Every pastor is going to the SBC to not only get swag, but to collect his new wardrobe for yeah, the next year. I can, That's why I go. I can barely afford um, to come. The free stuff for me is what I bring my kids. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm getting four of everything at every booth. Yeah. Uh, that's why I have six bags on my bed yes. upstairs. I will wear all the T-shirts, the free yeah. T-shirts that I get. Those will be my wardrobe yeah. for the next year, and I'll go throw out the ones I got two years ago. And without a convention in the yeah. middle, some of these T-shirts are wearing thin. Yeah. All right, so I needed a new round of T-shirts. So I think that, to clarify, it's very important that there are other things that we don't care if we don't know. Right. Um, that that at least never make it to the floor. We never get voted. We never expose the salary structure. We're not. I'm not too worried about that right now. We are very concerned about sexual abuse. Right. The name of Christ is at stake. The reputation of our convention is at stake. Our churches is at, are at stake. What we how serious we are about protecting uh, children and how 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 important it is for us to make sure that uh, anyone who's been abused can come publicly and will be listened to. We, we made a strong statement about the, all of those things mm-hmm. that uh, we care a great deal. I don't think that is to mean, the sad thing is, I don't think the executive committee would say, well, we don't. Right. No. Of course not. Um, that's not what we're saying. But their actions and... And I don't know what I would do if on the executive committee. I hope I would have done something helpful. And no doubt, but here, here's the other part that needs to be stated. We're in a place where we made that statement as messengers. Yeah. The other thing that needs to be stated, too, is potentially the executive committee knows something about how these things go that the messengers don't know. 
Sure. I mean, that, that's always possible that yeah. we're, we're, we maybe don't know what we've done, mm-hmm. you know, in the sense that very possible. maybe this motion has a lot more to it and it, it, it's, it's too, unwieldy and could just, be too general. Yeah, too general could or doesn't. It. Yeah. You know, it doesn't help, and that—that's the reason they reject it. That—that that may be the case. We possible, may find out. It's well, we need to do this we differently just, through an investigation into things that they're trying to handle, right? Um, and are handling right uh, in an appropriate way, but will be exposed in their path to being handled well, right? That's possible. Yeah, and and we may find all of that out. But I think what the messengers are saying is. We don't want the story coming out of this mm-hmm. SBC to be that we don't care about abuse. We yeah. absolutely do, yeah. and we have we feel that we have nothing to hide. And if there is anybody that does have something to hide, we mm-hmm. want that to be revealed. Whether this motion was the one that's going to accomplish that or not, mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I hope that, that it will be in the future a, a strong statement that... We do not want to cover up any form of abuse, mm-hmm. and we're we're going to do everything in our power to make sure that that's not the case. And if something needs to be yeah. rectified in Anaheim, Anaheim mm-hmm. then we we want to do that. Then. Yeah, basically, I think the way I would say it is Russell Moore's desire and the mo of the ERLC to go towards transparency in all things and all times by his letters being leaked by the executive committee. Um, not allowing discussion in the plenary on Monday, Russell Moore basically got what he wanted. He looked like a prophet, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. and that and I say he, I mean we, right, yeah. because we just decided that. Yeah, and uh, that path got there. So, uh, not not on a disconnected note, but actually another big issue coming into the convention mm-hmm. was what happened in Birmingham in 2019. A resolution number nine, and mm-hmm. you can look that up online. Mm-hmm. The resolution number nine that passed, mm-hmm. um, and we'll put that in the show notes as well, um, the link to it anyway. Mm-hmm. But um, it passed in Birmingham, and it identified critical race theory as a useful analytical tool, mm-hmm. and. Critical race theory became a, a really a huge talking point for the last two years mm-hmm. because, as you mentioned when we first started this, that mm-hmm. um, that proposal, that resolution, mm-hmm. came about at the end of the convention. So it was like Wednesday, if I, my memory serves. It was Wednesday. It was late in the evening, and you know I think. Before it was before before yeah. anyway before we got mm-hmm. we were dismissed. Mm-hmm. It was one of the last resolutions we actually affirmed, and I got the sense that everybody in the room in Birmingham didn't understand what critical race theory was. I know I was amongst let's, them. Let's let's make it clear. If you yeah. ask ten people right now, odds are high that ten people wouldn't know what critical race theory yeah. is. Which I think there was a helpful definition given at a at a uh, at nine marks at nine by Mark Dever mm-hmm. of what critical theories are in general, Mm -hmm. which essentially reject all forms of authority Mm -hmm. and see those as inherently abusive. So that every relationship is the powerful Mm -hmm. of seeking to abuse those who are not in power. And therefore, those who are not in power have every reason to reject everything uh, uh, from the, the those in authority, mm-hmm. and Dever, you know, ha- helped. I think everybody in the room to say that is evil. It's straight from the pit of hell. Mm-hmm. It's satanic, and it's not at all biblical. Mm-hmm. Which 
is is a really good, just very strong statement of that is what in its in its essence right. critical race theory is. So criti- critical that's critical theory, but critical race theory is saying the white are in power. Anybody else who is not in power needs to re- reject altogether mm-hmm. based on the color of skin. Mm-hmm. You know, which is critical race theory, mm-hmm. right? And so those also, all of those that fall under that umbrella, straight from the pit of hell and... The other one is intersectionality. Yeah, which is related. Intersectionality is when you have, when you're you're a minor and when you're a minority in multiple ways. So if you are a black woman who is transgendered, you have three intersecting uh, minorities which make you of the most oppressed um in um in your culture in your society yeah and the, as and, an example and those are related because if the minority That's how is, the theory goes yeah if the minority is being oppressed by the majority always right. then those who are more in minority their mm-hmm. intersectionality boxes are are they have more boxes to mm-hmm. check then they are more oppressed than someone mm-hmm. who just has one box to check they're mm-hmm. black or they're mm-hmm. Hispanic, right? You know, but but someone who is not only black but is also uh, transgender and whatever, mm-hmm. then they have more boxes, and so they are m- inherently more oppressed than someone who is just black or mm-hmm. just Hispanic or just whatever. And um, and so basically, that would put white males in a bo- in a place where they have no boxes to check. Mm-hmm. So therefore, they are the majority, and they're to be rejected at all at all costs, just mm-hmm. because they are inherently in more a powerful position. Mm-hmm. And so I, now there has been. To be fair, I don't think we're here to even discuss all the ins and outs of critical race. Theory. Not at all, because we don't I don't think I could. Uh, <laughs> but point being. In Birmingham a couple of years ago, the statement, the resolution, mm-hmm. remember, just an opinion expressed by a body in yeah. 2019. I have it here. Yeah. The resolution that was approved mm-hmm. by, by the majority of the messengers there said that me, critical race theory... Let me read it. Go ahead. Read it. That while we denounce the misuse of critical race theory and mm-hmm. intersectionality... We do not deny that ethnic, gender, and cultural distinctions exist and are a gift from God that will give him absolute glory when all humanity gathers around his throne in worship because of the redemption accomplished by our resurrected Lord. And, that go, and that's after um, they said previously, as, as you've already stated, um, that it could be referred to as a useful analytical tool. When that and I think where you're going is that when that came up on the floor in 2019, June 11, 12, 2019, no one had ever heard of critical race theory. Yeah. I literally looked at you when that was brought up, yes. and I said, "What is critical race theory?" <laughs> what did I say? And you made up something. No, I me believe that you knew what it was and you didn't. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what I knew then. It's like a resolution. Who knows what I was thinking then? <laughs> I don't know. Point point being. The vast majority of people in the room were like, yeah. I have no idea what this is. I certainly, it's late on Wednesday. Yeah, we're yeah. tired and hungry. We're ready to get out trust of here. Trust the and committee. Head back trust the resolution committee. Uh, we're, not, we're not accepting this. We're, 
you know, th- there is a, they, they are saying we deny any philosophy or theology that defines uh, individuals using categories identified and, and, as and, sinful in Scripture. And, and right so there. it sounded good to us. Yeah, and right, right there, because it, on the whole, rejected critical race theory. Mm-hmm. It had complicating man, man, and uh, mm-hmm. just awfully worded issues yeah. in the middle. But it, oh, on the whole, it rejected it. When I left, I started researching critical race theory and reading up reading up on it and figuring out what it was and when i got back to my church i had someone ask me about it mm-hmm. and like well, what's with this resolution number nine and, and all this you know that was going on and approval and all this my consolation was well we did reject it mm-hmm. we had some really weird wording and an awful and i think it was poorly mm-hmm. worded and, and we shouldn't have done that but mm-hmm. on the whole we did reject it you know mm-hmm. and that was the kind of the consolation that the resolution that we affirmed said it's antithetical to the gospel mm-hmm. but then had that useful analytical tool you know so it said like this the southern baptist churches and institutions repudiate the misuse of insights right. gained from critical race theory right. intersectionality and any unbiblical ideologies right. that can emerge from their use when absolutized as a worldview. So actually, you know, so this week, Tom Askell was at the microphone multiple times. Yes. He tends to be at the microphone every year. Which, and in 2019, he proposed was, a motion to... Oh, me, you were about to get to That's that. where I'm going. Yeah. Uh, there's been several times... I just times, ruined the joke. Thank you. Several times this weekend, I, I voted differently than Tom Askell. I don't know him personally. I'm thankful for him and his ministry as a brother. Uh, but he did stand up, and this was later in a documentary that was released... He did stand up in that moment and had the wherewithal and had the courage to stand up and say, we ought to all reject this. Yeah. And He understood something that the rest of us did not. Yes, yeah. 100%. And there was some conversation between him and Al Mohler immediately following that. Yeah. I think Al knew, we don't know what we're doing here. Right, right. <laughs> so don't get too hot. We don't know. We can come back and fix this if we need to. Maybe. I don't know what was but said. But I think Al, Al Mohler Tom, and Tom Askell were on the same page when it comes to... Critical race theory. 100%. Al yeah. Mohler said this week, I read critical race theory and rejected it when I was in college and seminary. Yeah. And he called it a cancer or he got, he got it a poison. A, a toxic uh, acid yeah, that yeah. will burn through everything it touches. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's pretty strong. Yeah. <laughs> and they've come out with a statement uh, weeks ago now uh, denouncing the use of critical race theory. Yeah. Um, so but there is... that's to say, thankful for Tom Askell because he was there and he knew it. Yeah. And he tried to help us then. And we didn't know. Um, and so, so, so here's a, something to think about. This week, we unanimously, nearly rejected sexual abuse cover up with our motion. A few years ago, we were tired, we were ignorant, and we said whatever the resolution committee thinks is probably good. Yeah. And so we approved their resolution and started a firestorm. Yeah. That lasted through. I actually it's probably not even over. Right. Because of how it was, or in some so, view, not handled. Which is what I, which is what I want to get to because I think this convention helped me to kind of understand where some different perspectives are. And I think there were a lot of things, you know, it's not just the convention. There are also these kind of like breakout sessions and different things that you can go to and that are that can be helpful, luncheons and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Nine Marks at Nine, we've both gone to for several years. I go to the ones that give books. Yeah, the ones that give books, yeah, basically. But, uh, but I think there were some helpful things because just as you have Al Mohler saying it's a toxic acid that burns through everything it touches. Mm-hmm. 
you have now, in part because of 2019, mm-hmm. you have a lot of people paying very close attention to everything that's stated by everyone in the seminaries. Mm-hmm. And so you have, you know, you have a joint uh, statement from mm-hmm. the six seminary presidents mm-hmm. that that who are heads of entities, mm-hmm. the seminaries are entities, that uh, they receive cooperative program dollars, in other words. And so that they come out and they make a joint statement about critical race theory and how they reject it. Mm-hmm. But then they will also use some terms mm-hmm. that are used inside proponents, inside the, the, the arguments of proponents of critical mm-hmm. race theory. Mm-hmm. So Ibram X. Kendi and several others who will who will talk positively about critical race theory, that it's very helpful. Mm-hmm. And then you will have some like seminary presidents who use some of those language, the, the words, they co-opt some of that language mm-hmm. and they will use it perhaps differently, but they will use it. And it causes a lot of red flags. I think for a lot of people in uh, messengers on the floor of the SBC. And so this is all actually connected to the presidential run too. And, you know, we saw around the convention floor, lots of people with CRT, stop CRT, Mm-hmm. on their stickers on mm-hmm. their shirts and there it was clear mm-hmm. that there were a lot of people that were there at the convention solely for the reason of trying to make a statement against CRT mm-hmm. and what they believed to be and you know maybe maybe perhaps legitimately but they believed to be a you know a belief a core value if you will of certain seminary professors perhaps even some seminary presidents or perhaps even is working its way through the seminary. Mm-hmm. And if what Al Mohler said is true, that it is an acid that burns everything that it touches, the fear I think on a lot of people is that it is going to burn through our seminaries and before long they're gonna be institutions, just like many you know, colleges are now, that promote critical race theory and teach it to mm-hmm. the students. And so you got on one hand the six seminary president saying, we hate it, we repudiate critical race theory. And Danny Aiken stands up at the microphone and is asked, do you promote critical race theory? Do you teach it? And Mm -hmm. he says, well, yes and no. We teach the ins and outs of critical race theory, but we don't advocate for it. We just, we want people to understand it and understand what's being taught. So their students may read things related to critical race theory from an academic perspective, but then understand how it is against how it it violates the gospel Mm -hmm. right but the thing that i think was the most helpful for me to understand and it came from kevin smith who is uh who is the i guess the uh the president of the um maryland Maryland baptist association so uh it's basically a pretty large convention of of churches several states that he he said which i thought was just really helpful that we can look at critical race theory and we can say that's that's bad and that's you know abhorrent theology mm-hmm. but we can also look at some of the things that are stated within it and say that is true what you're pointing to that you know african american brothers and sisters have lived in a world that at one time did enslave people, mm-hmm. lived in a country that at one or, time did enslave people. Or today. Or today. Disenfranchises them in many respects. Sure. And that, you know, even down to an interaction with police officers, mm-hmm. you know, that they, they feel real or, 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 or whatever, that uh, doesn't 
you know, potentially go the same way it would for, you know, a white person that's pulled over. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we can identify things in critical race theory within it that the world is pointing to and we can say that's true, but you come to the wrong conclusion about it. Mm -hmm. And what Kevin Smith and, and many others I think are trying to do is say, your observations are not entirely false, but your starting place needs to be the fall that, that happened as a result of sin, mm-hmm. not inherent, you know, leadership or power structures, yeah. power structures and things like that, that critical race theory is pointing to. Right. So what, what I, I, the reason I think that's helpful is because it does help to explain why somebody might use some of the languages of criti- language of critical race theory and yet then at the end say, but we repudiate it on the whole. Right. And identify certain things that they that they are they are pointing to that are true, but then help connect it back to the, the actual gospel. Yeah, and when Danny Aiken was asked, you know, do you teach critical race theory at Southeastern? He's the president of Southeastern Seminary. Um, in the moment, I was wishing he would have just said no. Yeah. And just said no. And not say anything else. Yeah. But I do think it was wise that he said yes and no. Because the answer is yes. That we, there are, have been classes, there are classes, philosophy classes, cultural, social, economic classes, where we uh, investigate, consider the historical implications, how critical race theory is used. We educate about a critical, theory, critical race theory. We're we not, teach Pelagianism, by the way, in the same way. Right. We well, so many false doctrines. Sure. We're not teaching it. Right. right. We're not employing it. For it. We're not no. using it. We're not employing it as a worldview, and that's helpful, I think, because there just seems to be a lot of brothers, uh, some at least, who, if you mention a critical race theory terminology in uh, an article, for example, which was the case by a Southern professor a year or two ago, um, and you use words that sound similar, there is a culture within, there's a a group within the Southern Baptist Convention that are just looking for a fight. Their dogs are out hunting for critical race theory. And if they smell a word that sounds like critical race theory, uh, then they are immediately inflamed that there is a leftward drift in our entire convention. And I think that could not be further from the truth. Yeah. I'm not worried about that, at least for that issue. There, there that and reason. I, I don't want to transition too quickly into the last thing that I think was a big issue coming in, but, uh, you know... Well, the critical race sex, theory sex, was sex, addressed in yeah. some form or fashion. The, oh, that's right, yeah. <laughs> we got... Uh, it, it came out by one of the messengers that there were 1,400-something signatures about uh, on resolutions submitted to the resolution committee, which takes all the resolutions that we've made through the year up to that point or in the window. They decide which ones they're going to give to us. We still have the power to do whatever we want as messengers, but they're going to submit the ones that they think are representing multiple motions about the same thing or reword it in the way that they think the And the whole ones that are thrown away, the body can pull back out. The body can, and that happened this yeah. week. And there was attempts to do that. Um, so... Everyone was, it was very public that many people were submitting resolutions to be accepted by the messengers on critical race theory. Some people posted their resolution so that we could see it ahead of time. I sent this to the committee. 
over there were over uh, was it what I say twelve hundred or fourteen hundred resolutions submitted. Over a third of them were from three cities. Yeah. Um, which is an anomaly. Right. Which is strange, and it came up by one of the messengers that critical race theory had multiple uh, resolutions sent into the committee that included upwards of 14,000-something signatures. Uh, So the committee, we're all expecting then, coming into this year's convention, that there's going to be a resolution that is titled Critical Race Theory, and we're going to be asked to reject critical race theory. As a Explicitly. As a false worldview, as an unbiblical analytical tool to use our 2019 language. That did not happen. Right. Instead, the committee put forward to the body, to the messengers, a general resolution on all evil and wicked unbiblical ideologies about race. Right. Including critical race theory. But it didn't stay. But not mentioning critical race theory, which is, I think, wise in some respects. And for all intents and purposes, as much as resolutions are binding, uh, sufficient. But it didn't scratch the itch for a lot of people. And so multiple... They wanted to mention CRT. Right. And I have no problem with that. And I think the convention would have wholeheartedly... Uh, agreed for it, so I'm not sure why they did that. Yeah. Um, that that seemed to me unwise. Just give us the critical race theory resolution and let us denounce it. Right. Let us fix what we messed up in 2019 when we were asleep and didn't know what it was. Right. And now we know um, that that didn't happen, uh, and so we never did accept a resolution specifically on critical race theory. Um, but we did accept another resolution yet again about racism and racist ideologies, uh, worldviews that uh, oppose biblical understanding of sin, race, and that the gospel is the only thing that can unite and heal nations and uh, us to God. And that was resolution number two Two. from this year. Yeah. Uh yeah. So if you want to look that up, we'll put it in the show notes, but resolution number two. So So the question still is left out there. Are we done with critical race theory? And I'm pretty sure the answer is no. Yeah. Those who have been concerned real hot about it coming in are probably going to go out. They might, we might get another documentary out of this from founders ministries and, and, and maybe it's needed. Maybe it's good. Um, but I don't think we're done with it yet. I think it will come back up to be uh, a resolution or something in the future. Or we might lose some churches over it. I don't know. Um, but um, we have sufficiently rejected it. But we haven't stated enough to make everyone in the convention happy, I don't think. So it'll come back up. There were clearly, I mean, even the, even the room, I think, you know, while being, I think, on the whole, a good... Tone and tenor to the, the room. The whole two days. The whole two days. Even it, in it the tensest moments. Yeah. I think was, there was fellowship. Yeah, there was a lot of like, hey, we disagree on this fundamentally, mm-hmm. and we can even argue pretty passionately about it. I sat it. next to a guy for a day yesterday, and we... He's, you're talking about me, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> I did sit next to you, but I sat next to a stranger who was there for the first time, and we voted opposite the whole time. Yeah. And and we chatted about our churches and how he's doing and where he's from and 
we chatted about a few of the issues, yeah. which I vehemently disagree with him about. But we did it kindly, and yeah. uh, I was thankful for Russ from Orlando. Yeah. Uh, it was great. Yeah. Great to meet him. So it was it, the tone and tenor was, was on the whole positive, but not everybody left happy. I mean, there, oh, yeah. there was there was clearness. Oh, in yeah. That. But I, I think this, you know, there's obviously uh, tons of different perspectives that are written on critical race theory and, and different things that we'll link to in the show notes that you can kind of do your own reading on. But I think the um, all of this has some connection into the the last concern coming into the convention, which was the presidential election, yeah. four candidates that were that were kind of up on the for not for uh, nominated, uh, Randy Adams, Al Mohler, Mike Stone, and Ed Litton, um, and so each one of them represented a different kind of concern coming into the convention. So, which to say first of all. Over the years, when there's when there's not tense moments, there will typically maybe be two. Yeah. So to have four is a bit strange. Yeah, yeah. And typically, there has not been over the years high-handed, high-financed campaigns. Right. For the presidency. Right. Flyers aren't handed out. Maybe there's a website that gives information for messengers who have never met these people. Yeah. Typically, some interviews and some newspapers. Exactly. Yeah. This has been different. Yeah, this was different. And so it was very clear early on, you get to this convention and there's people outside handing out newspapers called SBC News, which was not one of our better moments of this convention. No, I don't, I think. Don't, I don't think it was. Done by one of the president presidential candidates, Randy Adams. He, he had produced it, failed to say who funded it, where it came from, all those kinds of things. Actually refused to say that. And when you pick up the newspaper, which is labeled SBC News, which is somewhat of a misleading it title. It looks like a news. I thought it was yeah, news. We thought it so did. I was excited to read some articles about <laughs> SBC News. <laughs> so you're reading some SBC News articles. Most all the articles are written by Randy Adams, and they're, they're all talking about different forms of waste that's already present within or the... Misuse, or misuse. Or secrecy, yep. power, centralized. All within the convention. So he represents this concern on the part of many, uh, I guess. It's mm-hmm. many. Well, obviously it wasn't very many, um, that that are... It was like 600 people out of the whole convention. Yeah. But, um, but that were concerned about those kinds of things. People mm-hmm. hiding things. There's a pow- central power structure that is yeah. represented by a few families or a few people. And that there's some... Blatant forms of, of abuse, you know, on Al Mohler's part and things like that, that Which, he's calling out. To be fair, I don't know if those things are true or not. Maybe it is. If they're true, I think they need to be made as a motion on the floor to be investigated. Right. Just like we did. But point is, he represented, however small or however yeah. large a group, he represented that kind of idea. Yeah. Um, then you had Al Mohler, who was, I think, in my opinion, and again, I didn't poll all the people there, but in my opinion, Al Mohler was there as a as a person who we think could navigate through the waters of the critical race theory and think intelligently about it, who could help us with the abuse investigations and things like that, um, and who also, another issue which for another day, um, but you know, women in the pulpit and things mm-hmm. like that was a pretty contentious issue. Mm-hmm. Not too much dealt with, I don't think, in this no. convention. But there are some things I think coming that we probably could talk about in the future, especially mm-hmm. with the president that was elected. Mm-hmm. But Al Mohler kind of represented that he's an intellectual mind for a time where we need 
uh, intellectual thought, deep thought, mm-hmm. you know, very good thought on he's all these issues. He's, he's very trusted. trusted. He led the first conservative resurgence, or he was a part of it, mm-hmm. and um, and we think he could do it again to basically state, you know, with clarity and with you know, a well thought out opinion. I think he represented that kind of idea. Mm-hmm. Mike Stone clearly was the critical race theory is a bigger deal than you think it is. And the whole, it, we're moving left. We're moving left. We're going liberal. We're turning into liberals. Yes. And we need to squash that Theologically. right now. Yeah. yeah. We, need to, we need to squash that right now. He kind of represented that. Basically, anybody that had that stop CRT sticker on them at the convention or on their ballot probably was a Mike Stone voter. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and I think a lot of people showed up when they wouldn't ordinarily show up to vote that way. Mm-hmm. To stop CRT because they see it as a big issue, and then Ed Litton is an interesting one because I, I, he is—he's in the headlines as a moderate. Yeah, but in some ways, he's a lot like Al Mohler in that they can run in some of the same circles, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But he—he's got a doctorate from Southern. Yeah, he's a doctorate from Southern. Which came up on the floor yesterday. Which did. Al Mohler forgot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> this man has a degree from his seminary. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, which was funny in its own right. But but the thing, the thing that people I gathered did not like about Al Mohler is that he was an entity head yeah. who was then going to be elected a president of yeah. the Semitic, which is not the first time uh, Paige Patterson helped lead the conservative resurgence, was yeah. a was an entity head and was the president of the Southern Baptist Convention at the same time. Yeah. But the, I think there was some concern. It's a, di- it's a different moment now. Yeah, because you, you've got the, the, the president of the SBC is going to appoint the committee on committees, who's mm-hmm. then going to several layers deep eventually after appointing several I think is going to eventually get to selecting trustees for the seminaries. Mm-hmm. So in some respects, you've got Al Mohler overseeing one seminary and having some measure of control of the other seminaries too, um, which I think was kind of a by is sort of a byproduct, not really what people really wanted with Al Mohler being elected. And so I think Ed Litton represented that a little bit more moderate, definitely, mm-hmm. but but sort of, but he's a pastor. You know, he he's he he ended up repre- representing a moderate, but we I don't really know. You right. know, he the what came out several weeks before, or I think happened several weeks before the convention, is he brought his wife up to co-teach or co-preach, yeah, yeah. Uh, sitting down at a cocktail tables, as what I call them, the tall tables, and they kind of co-taught back and tag teamed back and forth, and. Um, a lot of people took that to be a in contradiction to the Baptist faith and message itself, yeah. our our theological unity as a convention, uh, our doctrinal unity, and so for that reason, uh, that that was Mike Stone. Yeah. That's where a lot of his that's what Mike Stone felt. That's what a lot of he got. So when it came to vote, Mike Stone got more votes than anyone else. Um, but as the votes go, you have to have 50% of the messengers. 50 plus 1. 50%, 50 plus 1. Um, more, you know, a majority, more uh, votes than anyone, or be the only one to do that, than to be elected, and no one did. So he had more votes than anyone, but he didn't have the simple majority. And I, I think that was a big reason. Yeah. That and CRT, the leftward drift, um, 
th- those were the big things that Mike Stone was running for, to my knowledge. But Mike Stone got more votes than anyone. Second to him was Ed Litton. Close behind Ed Litton was Al Moore. Uh, Al Moeller. Al, Al Moore. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Randy Adams uh, had a few hundred votes. So it was sent back. We had to vote by ballot again uh, for a runoff between Mike Stone and Al Mohler. Ed Litton. Uh, Ed Litton and Mike Stone. And I, I do want to say, I, I predicted the numbers fairly accurately. No, if you, you predicted Mike Stone would win and you were wrong. No, I didn't. He did. No. Oh. I said Ed Litton is going to need this many, num- this many from Mohler. He's gonna have to pick up this number to get to the fifty, yeah. and I—I I mean, the math was pretty spot on, if I must, if I might say so. I think it's the only time you've ever added two numbers correctly. <laughs> Bro, listen, my elders make fun of me and my quote Mary Harden Baylor, Baylor math all the time. Yeah. So no, I—I I, I don't claim to be any kind of professional statistician, but um, you're really breaking some new ground <laughs> yes. there, Pythagoras. <laughs> you got, you got, you, you, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm trying to add numbers. I'm having a hard time sometimes. Nathan so. calculated exactly what Ed Litton would need to get to fifty percent plus one vote. Uh, Actually, which I is, nailed it at fifty-two percent. It was yeah, pretty close. Yeah. So saying, you Pythagoras. I mean, you're. I mean, you're practically the same person at this point. Yes. Exactly. Um, so, anyway, uh, the uh, it seemed like a lot of. Moeller's votes went to Litton, mm-hmm. right? I think if Moeller had been second place and mm-hmm. Litton third, Litton's votes would have gone to Moeller. I think the crowd that was splitting their vote between Moeller and Litton likely were kind of representing the anti-Stone mm-hmm. movement, mm-hmm. I guess, and that won by a narrow margin, essentially. Yeah, I so, essentially didn't vote for Mike Stone. Right. Um, and I, as there were a lot of us who were very surprised that Al Mohler did not have more votes the first round. Yeah. Um, had Ed Litton not been in the running, I think that would have been a very different. That would have been very different. Very different. I think Al Mohler would be the Al president. Al would have won the first ballot, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah probably. Because so. between them, there were way more than 50% between sure. the two of them. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, that being said, there it, this isn't. There's still issues. This actually I mean, kicks off a new round of issues, right? Because Lytton is kind of bringing in a somewhat. Lytton is very much within the Baptist faith and message. The Baptist faith and message statement on complementarity. People are wondering. Is yeah, it, it, at least it's the statement in the Baptist faith and message on complementarity mm-hmm. is basically that. It, the office of pastor is reserved for, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it needs to be stated, I think, a small percentage of men even out there, um, that it, it's, uh, it's, rele- it's relegated to men, but it, you know, it's people that are qualified for the pastorate in accordance with scripture. And so um, Lytton holds to that position. He affirms the Baptist faith and message. Um, he, as far as I know, he does. I mean, I, I, they're, their church is in good standing and currently, and mm-hmm. um, and so so that's one issue is well, what is with you know teaching on Sunday? There are a number of people that see complementarity as affirmed by the Baptist faith and message as they can't hold the office, women can't hold the office of pastor or elder, mm-hmm. but if they teach or preach on a Sunday morning, mm-hmm. uh, that's fine. 
as long as it's under the auspices of the direction of the pastors and elders. Mm -hmm. That's their choice to do that. And Ed Litton, I think, represents that crowd in the SBC. Mm -hmm. And then there's another crowd in the SBC that says, no, that's exercising authority, which is what Paul mm-hmm. says he, he commands not to happen. So mm-hmm. um, so there's, a, there's, a, there's two different crowds that are now kind of, they have been for a while, uh, kind of warring factions, if you want to put it that way. Maybe that's mm-hmm. too strong. But we'll, that will probably come to a head next year in Anaheim. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's not an insignificant issue, but I think it, it is high time we probably deal with that and mm-hmm. talk, at least talk about it. The, different, the, the line is that while both men and women are gifted for service in the church, the office of pastor is limited to men as qualified by Scripture. Yeah. And there are those, including Beth Moore, who's uh, now found her exit, has said, well, it's one thing to say the office of pastor is limited to men as qualified by Scripture. It's another thing to say that preaching is limited to men as qualified by scripture so there is right now some confusion about what we mean by office and what that office does and is preaching an extension of the office and we were having this conversation for a while the other night i have a buddy of mine in uh, austin area um i think has uh, said did i name him out loud just then I don't think no you didn't <laughs> he, he suggests I don't I don't know if this would be public but I think it's fine he, he suggested that if Al Mohler won he would be asking for a task force and we were talking about this to go explore the historical meaning of that line in the Baptist faith and message so that we could see we have always understood preaching as the execution of the pastor in the church. So for a woman to preach in the church would be stepping into, as it were, pastor. the office of pastor. And by doing what he is doing, sitting at his desk, so to speak. So it but matters then what the SBC, I mean, what the Baptist faith message means when it says that. Ed Litton seems, uh, from his choice, to believe that so- something is different that he wasn't preaching by again it's like you and i are sitting at this you know high table in the kitchen that he and his wife were sitting at a table so i don't know if he means we weren't preaching yeah we were just teaching there's a whole other conversation um or it's okay if she does preach we were both preaching um or it's okay if she comes to do this because um She's doing it under my authority. It's it's convoluted. Right. So what are we saying? What is he saying? Is the Baptist faith, faith message has been a unified historical understanding of that? What we as a convention mean by that sentence is unclear right mm-hmm. now. Uh, unclear by many. I to me not too unclear. Um, but it's uh, it, it, there's enough discussion about it that we're not sure what we mean by it. And Ed Litton represents a a presidential candidate who seems to president who seems to have a more liberal for the defined use of that word um, a more generous let me put it that way more generous understanding of that sentence right and so that's a question I, I don't think that question has been answered um, and uh, it for, for those, you know, again, it's kind of like the critical race theory thing. How many people in the room knew or know this about Ed Litton? I, I don't know. 
we don't know. We're going to find out uh, just how happy we are about that as it comes out, right? So as it's discussed more between now and Anaheim next year, um, I don't know. Yeah. It, it certainly will be interesting, I think, what what comes of this. I think if there's, uh, just to be very candid, if there's one thing that I'm discouraged about going out of, of the SBC, it's probably a Litton presidency. That, that wasn't who I voted for on mm-hmm. the first ballot. Mm-hmm. Um, I I didn't vote for Mike Stone. I, I don't. Yeah. I, I don't think the CRT issue was the kind of pressing issue that that I I think we really need help with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we would have been more helped by a Mueller presidency who mm-hmm. certainly could have handled the CRT issue if it was a significant yeah. issue. But I think also would be able to speak much more in, with clarity into a lot of other issues that, mm-hmm. that are really pressing for our time. Mm-hmm. Uh, who knows, maybe there's a, a, a future day for a Mueller presidency. Um, I, I would love that, and mm-hmm. I would love to see him run against one other person mm-hmm. because I think, he would, I think he would mop the floor with just one other person. But um, yeah, and and so I I think that's probably the most discouraging coming out of the SBC, the most discouraging part for me. Mm-hmm. What about you? Is there? I don't know that I would say. I mean, I'm deeply, deeply encouraged by the whole week. Agreed. We haven't even begun. We haven't even gotten into the sending of our 64 missionaries. Oh, yeah. all over the world. Um. The singing was good sometimes. Um, the fellowship, the spirit in the room was one of, you know. Yeah. Um, J.D. Greer as chair of a 15,000-person business meeting. With a lot of contentious Is moments. better than any comedy you've ever paid to see. Oh, man. I mean, he... I'm so going to so, I'm going to miss him. I loved it so much. He was so helpful. He's serious. Um, but having a good time, talking to us like we're family, um, really, really good, really encouraged by, by his leadership in that role, um, really encouraged by the carefulness which with, by which so many things were handled on the stage. Really encur- there, there was some booing here and there, which JD put a stop to, um, but generally very encouraged by the respect in the room for one another to disagree. Um, you know, the time in between meetings, having lunches with brothers, hearing testimonies about a guy that was shot by a kidnapper, oh, going to forgive his crazy. kidnapper later. And um, I, I just, the reports of the seminaries growing during COVID the last year. I mean, there are so many things that are amazing, incredible, and I don't know how you can explain them outside of regenerate men and women who believe the gospel of Christ crucified for us, getting together and going, nothing else really matters than that. I don't know how else you can explain that many people in that bigger room on such hot topics, walking away with joy and in unity and excitement. About, about going back to preaching their own pulpits, yeah. about seeing each other next year, about not being embarrassed by the Southern Baptist Convention, but yeah. proud, um, regardless of our history and, and our own problems right now. So I think there's much more things to be encouraged about uh, in the convention. I'm not too discouraged about Ed Litton because I think it's going to work itself, just like the CRT thing. Yeah. Uh, we'll figure out, did we not know what we were getting into, did we make a bad decision? 
does that truly represent, uh, d- does his belief, let's just say it's the most liberal belief it could be about women in ministry, right? It's, it's the reversal of the conservative resurgence starting to happen. Let's just say that's what he believes. I don't think it is. But I think the convention will correct that, yeah. if so. And, uh, and certainly and there, if, were some, there were also some, I don't think insignificant, yeah. uh, theological concerns about you know, a statement on his website and stuff like a that. A statement on his website about God being in three parts. Uh, yeah, that was you know, a generous, sloppy needs to be corrected. A kind reading of that is, I see what you're saying, I get it. The first two sentences are qualifying in his statement of faith. Right. But, but um, correct that, please. Yeah, <laughs> just, just, yeah, I'm not. But again, there's some hawks out there who they read sure. that and they go, "We have just elected someone who thinks God is in three parts, right? And that the, the he's, heretic, he yeah. has dissected yeah. the Trinity, right? And I just, I don't, I don't know that he's given us anything in his history or his preaching or his graduation from Southern that would make us think that right now, right? Right now, certainly sloppily written. Needs to be corrected, sure. but I, I'm just. But they're not... autonomous. That's their thing. He yeah. adheres to the Baptist faith and message, yeah. uh, and so until he makes a motion to change the Baptist faith and message to say that God exists in three parts, yeah. Then I'm just assuming that what he means by God in three parts is actually what the Baptist faith and message. And the says first two statements better. before that on his website indicate that that's the way he, that he does. Copy and paste it from the yeah. BFN. That he does. He he does think rightly about it, but then that last statement, you're like, ah, oof, that's yeah. awful. All things said. This convention could have gone south really bad. Sure. And I think there were some um, maybe well-intended, maybe even ill-intended uh, moves here and there. Uh, and they got shut down. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. So I feel like the convention is leaving in unity, a good testimony for Christ to the world, encouraging to pastors. Um, you know, once again, I, every year... I, I tend to wonder, what are we doing here? Why are we even in this convention? Let's go spend our money somewhere else. And, you know, as I sit here today, I don't have total faith in the execution of missions or name or anything that totally aligns with all of my personal convictions. But I'm deeply encouraged about the fellowship and the direction, the unity in the convention. Um, it makes me be, makes me glad to be a part of it. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think overall, um, I was just very encouraged, you know, on the whole with how the contentious, um, uh, issues were dealt with. And, um, you know, I, I think I'm with you in most everything that you just said. I think everything that you just said that, um, we are, far more united and I think this the message that was sent both in regards to abuse uh, in regards to how we think of racism and how we think of systems that um, that describe it that are not in line with the gospel um, I, I you know the, the statements that were made there it, it could have gone a number of different ways and it could have gone far worse mm-hmm. than what it did um, there, there's never a time where I've ever left a convention where there weren't issues that in the future I thought we're going to have to tackle this. Mm-hmm. You know, I, that's just, that's just the nature of it. You're yeah. always going to have to be in that position. But yeah. I don't think there was ever a time that I was more proud to be a Southern Baptist in, in, in really all my life mm-hmm. than, than this, this 
convention. Mm-hmm. And for the reason that, uh, I think going back to the, the abuse motion being brought out and being affirmed, yeah. you know, I, I think... Um, to me, that was a strong statement, if nothing else, mm-hmm. that the messengers in the SBC do not uh, want to be seen as or actually be in practice of, uh, you know, being less than clear mm-hmm. about uh, abuse, abuse victims, mm-hmm. how, we, how we see them and what mm-hmm. we want to do. I, I was really proud mm-hmm. at that moment that we did that. And, and I think going out of the convention, just the way that people handled themselves. It's, fa- it's fascinating that it wasn't just like a committee that made a good decision. 15 plus thousand people. Yes. Minus a few agreed. Yes. I mean, and, and not agreed about the mundane report about this. Right, and, right. You know, let's all approve the minutes. Right, right. Agreed about a really hot, important moral issue, and to check and to check mm-hmm. some of the leadership mm-hmm. who were moving in the in a different direction, yeah. and to say you don't control this mm-hmm. situation. We are. Yeah. We're going to say ranks. something else that's really encouraging. I, it's easy for me and for all of us to think of anyone on any other side of an issue or the other side of uh, events in their worst. And I think being together helped me think about those I disagree with in the best. Yeah. Um, some of them on the executive committee. Um, some of them from uh, other networks that were there with concerted efforts together to move the convention a certain direction. Um, still disagree with them. Still not pumped about some of the leadership movements and decisions you know vision 2025 is not my favorite but I think I I have to face him and have to face that messenger and have to face that pastor and get to know them and talk with them sit with a guy that I disagree with Um, it's just another help for me to think the best of them right and um, and and still disagree that's really helpful and I think that if anything else, that kind of has to be the message coming out mm-hmm. of the SBC mm-hmm. is, and, and I struggle with this, as mm-hmm. you well know, it's difficult for me to, to think charitably first, mm-hmm. you know, until there's no room for charity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think when someone confesses Christ mm-hmm. and professes to be a brother in the Lord or sister in the Lord, as it were, um, then... I need to think, I need to look at them through that lens first mm-hmm. until I absolutely cannot mm-hmm. anymore. And there's a lot, what we find is, I think when we do that, there's a lot of room for charity. Yeah. And it, it, it's, it's, you know, I'm preaching to myself as much as anybody else, yeah. but, but it, th- there's a lot of room for charity that I think at first we're tempted to throw out the window. Mm-hmm. Well, you obviously mean that you love CRT and you support it and whatever. Mm-hmm. When a more charitable reading of that yeah. would be, they're trying to win people to the Lord sure. and educate the world. And there's guys the I would disagree with. Sure. But the, the fellowship was sweet. Something mm-hmm. else that was really encouraging is the number of young pastors, young families who were there. You know, the convention. At the same time, I feel sorry for all the children who had to sit through all that. <laughs> <laughs> this 10-hour business. Yeah. <laughs> you know, our, we have had the reputation, and we were for many years, defined by... Uh, white-haired white men yeah and that is changing 
yeah. over there. We've had some African, some prominent African American brothers leave our convention recently. Yeah. Um, but that I think is on the whole changing, and as was announced many times, yeah. that our diversity is growing and changing. The convention took. I think you could tell concerted efforts to have diversity on the stage, singing, sure. talking, preaching, reading, and I'm really glad for that. Um, but I think if there's there are so many young guys, so many first timers everywhere yeah. we went when they were asked to stand, a lot of guys were at the convention for the first time, young guys. That it's it's encouraging that if if that church planters, church planters, if I mean, that group did this convention then that sets us up for years to come. It gives me a lot of encouragement that those guys will be back, they'll be voting, they'll be a part of it. Um, yeah. So it's, it's really encouraging. Far more to be encouraged about than discouraged, for sure. 100%. Um, you know, I, this is a better way to do a podcast, I think, <laughs> being in the same room. So, Going to Nashville? Yeah, so I say Nashville. <laughs> Nashville every a, Thursday morning. Nashville every Thursday morning. <laughs> It becomes the worldwide headquarters for the Fire and Bones podcast. We're going to Dose Coffee Shop. We're going to yes, Dose get coffee. Shout out to Dose Coffee Shop, which fueled us this week. Saved, Phenomenal saved us. Yes. And has a great little, what do they call that? Cheddar corn I don't scone? Know. I don't even know who I would have voted for if it hadn't been for that coffee. You know, that was really what helped me think clearly to That little raise cheddar my corn right biscuit there. was the... Delicious, by the way. Shout out. We so. could do a whole podcast on Nashville food. Oh man, hot chicken, um, Hattie B's hot chicken. Yes, was phenomenal. Pretty S- good. Several goods. Distillery. Uh, yeah. yeah, I'm coming home a lot heavier. My scale's gonna. Yeah, definitely not like me when I get back. Yeah. But, um, but encouraged to be in the room with you, and we're in front That's of a good. live studio audience. Jared Hawkins is also here <laughs> with us. Um, and I'm so proud you didn't say a word the whole time. So wow. that's good. It's uh, amazing. But <laughs> so, yeah. so um, next year's the, Anaheim. Next year's Anaheim. California. It's going to be yeah. a much smaller group, I suspect. Yeah. It's way out there. It's and, expensive to And get the group there. that is going to be there is largely going to be at Disneyland. Let's just be Families. Honest. Yeah. No one's going to be there voting. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. So anyway, uh, good to see you. Good to be here and talk through some of these issues. I think we've got still a lot of work to do and, and a lot of things yeah. to talk about. And, and uh, we're going to talk about them next week with gonna, two friends. Yeah, definitely don't want to miss two of my close friends next week. Uh, two perspectives of people outside the SBC, yeah. which I think will be helpful. Nathan yeah. and I will be on the defense of the SBC. We'll be yeah. the sole defenders. Which is funny because I was ready to kind of box at the SBC with them. Yeah. <laughs> And I think coming out, uh, I'll be like, don't talk about my boys like yeah, that. Yeah, I think the episode title next week is going to be Come At Me, Bro. Yeah, uh, come and take it. <laughs> so, anyway. All right, um, see you next week. All right, see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Fire and Bones podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider subscribing or following the show on your favorite listening platform so you can be notified every time a new episode is released. Consider leaving us a generous review if that's an option for you. And most importantly, share this podcast with someone that you think might benefit from it. Be sure to check the show notes for any relevant links, including our contact information. Feel free to reach out to us with any questions you might have. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Fire and Bones podcast. Thank you.